If you could also turn in your Bibles, it's John chapter 13, verses 3 through 17. You can also find this in your booklets on page 8. John chapter 13, verses 3 through 17. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. We're in a time of Lent. It's a season of reflection and preparation for Good Friday and Easter. And so we're looking at passage, particularly pointing us towards Good Friday, towards Easter. And this passage takes place during the Last Supper between Jesus and his disciples. In the book of Luke, he explains to us that a fight broke out between the disciples, among the disciples, about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And they're arguing literally over who's going to be secretary of state, uh, you know, who's going to be the secretary of the treasury. Uh, And they're literally arguing over who will have the highest office in in Jesus' cabinet. And they're saturated, they're saturated with the world's understanding of success and greatness and power. And yet they're standing before the ultimate model, the ultimate example of success and greatness and power. And so here's Jesus. He's about to ascend to the highest, but first he's going to descend to the depths. He's about to pull off the greatest victory, but first through torture, by being captured, by being physically beaten and oppressed and murdered. And so his understanding of power and success and greatness is completely upside down. There's not a single culture or ideology that can accept, that can really understand what Jesus is saying here. It cuts against everything we know, everything we know, all of our intuition, all of our instincts, because Jesus says that the way up is down, that the way to get power is to serve. Now, envision what's going on here. The disciples, they're arguing. They're like arguing over who's going to be the greatest, But then Jesus demonstrates real power. He gets up from the table, 
and he starts to wash their feet. So here they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. Jesus, the king, kneels down and starts to wash their feet. And once he's done, he looks up and he says, who is greater? You or the person who just washed your feet? Who is greater? He says, who is greater? The one who's sitting at the table or the one who serves? Because I am among you who serves. That's what he says. Jesus has a a few moments to live. He doesn't have much left in his life. And so when you're kind of lasting out your final hours before you're killed, uh, before you die, and you're aware of that, who you choose to see, what you choose to do, what you choose to say, it's all going to be intentional. And so there's three things we're going to learn today from this passage. What about the act? What does the act represent? Why is it important? And how does it change us? What is about Jesus' act? What does it represent? Why is it important? And how does it actually change us? First, what does the act represent? They're at dinner. This final dinner, the Last Supper. And in verse 4, Jesus, in the middle of dinner, he rises, he takes off his outer garment, he lays it down, and then what he does is he gets a, a towel and he wraps it around his waist. And then he gets this water basin and he fills this water basin with water. He pours water into this basin. And then he gets down and he starts to wash the disciples' feet. And then he takes his towel and he wipes their feet. He's wiping their feet with his towel. And the disciples, they're absolutely horrified. You know, Peter starts to rebuke Jesus. He, why are you doing this? Why does he do this? Why were they so horrified, first of all? Because in the Middle East, in the ancient Middle East, not too different from today's Middle East, the climate is, is incredibly humid and hot, and the roads in those ancient times were terrible. They were, they were not paved, so they were pretty, pretty much... Uh, uh, dirt roads, and you have waste management. There was no waste management. So people literally threw their trash pretty much out onto the street. And they don't have shoes like we have today, you know, so um, they were not covered where there was in- inadequate uh, footwear and no deodorant. So you imagine the smell in the streets. That's how it was in the Middle East in those times. And these people are walking around pretty much rats, trash everywhere, on the dirt roads. And so if you're going to go to a banquet, um, they, they didn't have deodorant back then. They poured oil and perfume on their bodies. That's what they did. Back then, they didn't, um, they didn't have soap pretty much. They, used, they would take these cleansing oils and they would scrape them off their bodies. That was a bath. That's what they did in these baths. And then they would pour uh, perfume, uh, these scents on their bodies to keep you from smelling the filth that was down low. So even an indentured servant back then was not tasked in a house. No matter how poor you are as a servant, you were never tasked. It was, there were municipal laws that guarded against washing people's feet because it was so horrible. The smell, the filth, the grime, it was so offensive, it was so low. So what Jesus is doing is absolutely remarkable, just remarkable. This is their savior. This is the king. This is the Messiah, the Redeemer, God's chosen person. And in verse 3, we see that Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. So much confidence. This is absolutely intentional. And yet he gets up and he performs this act. 
It was representative of his mission. It was representative of what he came to do. Jesus is literally at, in, his, in his supper. He's in his zone now. He's ready to die. And he's thinking about his mission, what he came to do. And he gets up and he performs this act. It's representative. There are two parts to this mission that we understand. The first part, Jesus came down. He knelt low. At dinner, he leaves his place of honor at the table. He leaves his place of honor. And he lays down, in in the Greek, he literally lays down his garments and he starts to serve. The Bible tells us that though he is God, you just read this in Philippians chapter 2, the call to worship, though Jesus is God, though he's so great that even heaven couldn't contain him, Though he's so great, the entire universe literally is governed and sustained in the palm of his hand. This great God came down and he became a human being. But why? What's what's so important about him coming down? In 1964, there was uh, this incredible account written in the New York Times of Kitty Genovese. If you're a psychology major, if you've taken Psychology 101, you've absolutely, definitely at one point heard her story. It's a true story about a woman who lived in Queens. She was a bartender who left late at night after closing and headed home. And she was pursued by an assailant, the person who would later murder her. She came and she was running, running away from this assailant who chased after her, attacked her. And in her courtyard of where she lived, she's screaming out for help. Lights literally turned on and people, even one person even shouted out and said, let go of that girl. Take your hands off of that girl. And so the assailant actually ran away and there were silhouettes and figures of people watching Kitty Genovese die as the assailant returned because no one came down. No one came down to help her. Why didn't anybody come down to help Kitty Genovese? And it's because to come down is to lower yourself to a position that absorbs risk. It's to leave a safe place. These people in these high-rises are in a safe place, but to go down is to now put yourself in harm's way, to absorb risk, to enter into a dangerous place. Jesus came from the highest place, the safest place to what? To a place of violence and danger and risk and evil and he did it to serve and who did he serve even at this table who did he serve all the disciples among one of them was the person who would betray him and he's literally washing judas's feet can you imagine that verse 2 judas had already planned to betray jesus and yet jesus is washing his feet jesus came down and what he's saying is that there's no risk that I would not undergo for your sake. That's what he's saying. There's nothing beneath my dignity that I would not do for my people. There's no risk that I would not undertake for the sake of people that I love. Look at the humility of Jesus. Look at the gentleness of Jesus. Look at the servanthood, the servant-like character of Jesus. Look at the price that he's willing to pay. That's Jesus. It goes completely against the world's philosophy. Aristotle, the great philosophers, what is their motto? All of life, is a power play. In other words, the world says power has to be taken. Power has to be earned. That's why we're always stepping all over each other in our careers. That's why we're, you know, Democrats are always going against people in the red states and the red states are going against people in the blue states all the time because all of life is a power play and yet Jesus says, my kingdom is upside down, completely upside down. The true way up is down. The true way to power 
The true way up is to relinquish, to empty yourself. My kingdom is not advanced through might and strength and will, but through humility and through weakness, by taking on risk, by taking on risk. Jesus says, there's no risk that I would not experience for you. There's nothing beneath me that I would not do for you. There's no distance that I would not travel to get you. There's no price too great that I would not ransom for you. This is my mission. I would do the dirtiest, foulest deed. Peter says, gross, you're going to wash my feet? You? This is gross. This is disgusting. He doesn't say, you know, let me wash your feet. I should be washing feet. That's not what he says. What he's saying is, this is beneath us, Jesus. This is beneath us. We're here talking about who's going to be, we're, we're figuring out your administration here. This is beneath us. You're going to do this? And Jesus says, unless I do it, you will have no share of my kingdom. You will not be an owner of this stock. This heavenly capital will not be yours unless I do this. That's what he says completely blows away our view of what a king is supposed to be. Think about what we look for in leaders today. Think about what we look for in our spouses today. We want a king. This absolutely blows away our view of what it means to be a king. Look at the servant-like character of Jesus. Incredible power. Incredible power, and yet he demonstrates so much self-control, so much humility to serve. You have to let that truth melt your heart. Now, Why is this important? Why is the fact that Jesus came down so important? I'm going to read from verse 6 to 7 here in this passage. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. You know, Jesus Jesus wants us to get it. He says, Peter, do you understand what I'm doing? Well, actually, you don't understand, but you will understand. It's so important for Jesus that we understand, that we get what he's doing. He's thinking about his mission. Jesus came down. That's only the first part of his mission. That's only the first part of his story. The second reason why he came down, it's not just to come enter our world as a servant, but he came as a servant, as a suffering servant, to take the hit. What does it mean to take the hit? It's a football term, to take the hit. There's a quarterback, and two seconds left in the game. They're behind. But when he hikes the ball, a receiver goes down this fly pattern, and he completely blows away his defender, so he's open. And he knows that if I stand in this pocket and I throw that ball, this receiver, if I can just hit it right, he will take that ball and he will run it and they will score and they will win the game and they will win the championship. But there's a rub. When he hikes that ball in that split second, he's got two seconds before the clock runs out so they have no other chances. There's a defensive end that is charging straight at him, making a beeline right towards this quarterback and he knows that I've got two options. On one hand, I can go down. I can just slide down. I can just, I can just go down. And if I do that, this defensive end will, uh, will, will don't have to hit me, and, and I go down, and what happens is then everybody takes the hit. The entire team loses. The championship is lost. You know, and something has happened here. Something has happened here. There's been a failing. There's been a, it's very, very complex. 
You can sit here and try to break down the tape of this segment right here. It's very complex. Maybe it was the blocker, the person who was to block the defensive end. Maybe he had misread something, or maybe he had misinterpreted the defensive set, or maybe he just took the cowardly way out. But either way, he got blown by, and this defensive end is now charging at this quarterback. Well, there's another failing. Maybe it was the draft choice. Maybe the general manager chose wrong. And here's this guy who's ill-equipped and and not prepared to be where he is in a championship caliber. And as a result, this defensive end now is charging towards the quarterback. Or maybe it was a contract dispute. Maybe it was the blocker who was supposed to be there who held out. He wanted more money. He deserved to be paid more because he is appropriate. He should be in that spot. But because he held out, now they put this ill-equipped guy in his place, and of course, the defensive end blows right through him, and now he's charging towards the quarterback. There's a failing. There is sin here. It's an injustice. Because now, if the quarterback can either go down and the entire team takes a hit, the GM could get fired, maybe the blocker will get traded, or maybe he'll just get cut, you know, or everybody loses. Maybe the line coach will get fired as a result. Or the quarterback, in the attempt to get that ball launched off right, knows that the impact of this 295-pound defensive end that is running at an incredible force towards his body will hit his ribcage, and he will get hurt. He will take the hit. He will get hurt. He will be severely injured. He may risk the end of his career, but if he could launch that ball in that two-second shot, they're going to win, and the entire team celebrates. That's what it means to take the hit. Your community leaders one day say, you know, there's a lot of poor people in this community, and they're starving, so as a result, we're going to raise taxes. We're going to raise taxes because we need to build shelters and hospices. What do you say? Because there's been a wrongdoing here. There's been an injustice. There's been a failing. There shouldn't be people starving in the streets. There shouldn't be people, women walking the streets. What went wrong? And the answer is very complex. You could take that segment and break it down and pundits and everybody has an opinion and everybody has something to say about the cause or the solution. But who's going to, the ultimate question is who's going to absorb the cost? Who's going to pay the price? Who's going to pay? People say, not in my neighborhood. Don't raise my taxes. It's not my fault these people are poor. It's not my fault that these women are walking the streets. Don't raise my taxes. Who's going to take the hit? There's a failing, and now there's a cost. You know what a servant heart is? I'm going to tell you what a servant heart is. A servant heart is somebody who gets up and says, I'm going to go down. I'm going to take the hit. I'm going to get dirtied up. I don't know whose fault this is. It probably isn't my fault, but I'll tell you what. I'm going to bear the cost. I'm going to take the hit. I'm going to pay the price. Let it be me. I'm the one. Peter's thinking, gross, this is disgusting. I can't look at you doing this. I can't bear the sight of you doing this. But Jesus says, look, somebody's got to clean off these feet. Nobody wants to do it. And you can literally smell the filth rising. Nobody here wants to go down and do it. Even the servant, is, the servant is, isn't tasked to do this. But I'm going to do it. Everybody here wants to be at a place of honor, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to go and make it my job. I'm going to take, take the pr- pay the price. I'm going to take the hit. 
What he's actually saying through this act is that, you know, the sins of the world, the misery of the world, the brokenness of the world, who caused it? The answers are very complex. You can take a snapshot of that. We tried to do that last week. And you can sit there and you can break that down. But the thing is, at the end, there's a tremendous price to pay. We can't deny that the world is a mess. It's broken. There's greed and selfishness and violence and evil everywhere. But who's going to pay the price? Everybody says, well, it's not really my fault. It's not my fault. Who's going to pay the price? Who can pay the price? Look at your own lives. Some of you, you know, you know you've been badly mistreated by certain people. You know you've been badly hurt by certain people. Who's going to bear the cost of that? Because right now, you're paying the price. You're paying the price of that pain. And you're saying, you know, I'm bearing the cost of this, but I shouldn't bear the cost of this. That person should be paying the price for this. But if you think about it, maybe they are mistreating you because they've been broken by other people who've mistreated them, and that cycle is continuing. It's very complex. The answer is very complex to break the situation down. It's like, in fact, maybe they're turning around saying, you're, you should pay the price. You mistreated me. Who's going to bear the cost for them? Who's going to bear the cost for you? You see, all of life, if you continue on this mindset, all of life is a power play. It's just people trying to step over one another. And this is going to go on and on and on. It's very complex. Jesus Christ, he says, I will take the hit. He chose to be the servant. The only way to stop power plays is to look at true power, to behold true power, real power. Behold the most powerful king who ever lived, who became a servant for you. He's going to wipe all your sins away. It's amazing. It's remarkable. This is why Jesus, on the cross, he suffered estrangement. This is why, on the cross, he had to suffer alienation. This is why he had to be hurt. This is why he had to be broken. This is why he's suffering spiritual despair on the cross. This is why he had to experience physical torture. He's literally absorbing all the sins of the world, all the brokenness, all the evil, all the violence, all the mistreatment. He's experiencing it on the cross. God is literally himself pouring out the fullest measure of his divine judgment. Everything that had ever gone wrong with the world. And he's making a beeline straight towards the ribcage in the heart of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing on the cross. That's what's happening. You know, Jesus is a serving king. He gets down on his knees. He leaves his place of honor at the top. And he goes down low. Only servants are allowed, are allowed to pour water into a basin. Jesus is pouring water into this basin. He's not obligated to do this. He's not obligated. It's completely voluntary. He doesn't owe us this. That's not what he owes us. See, when we die, we are victims of death. When you die, you're victims of death. And, and it's because we deserve to die. The brokenness of the world ultimately consumes us altogether. Our bodies are broken. So we deserve it. But, you know, when Jesus died, he wasn't a victim of death. You know, he says, I lay my life down. In John chapter 10, he says, I lay my life down. That laying of the life down is the same phrase used in laying down his garments. It's usually, it's literally a representative act. But what he's saying is, I'm doing it voluntarily. I'm not a victim of death. I'm not a victim. He's not getting what he deserves on the cross. He got what he accomplished on the cross. This is also the reason why a lot of us don't find God 
You know, you say, I'm looking for God, I'm looking for God, but I can't find him, I don't see him. That's why a lot of people don't find God. People think the reason why we can't find God is because he's too distant, he's too high, he's too up there, he's too far away. But the Bible says that the reason why you can't find God, and as a result, you're constantly working and working and working, because you think, if I can just work and work, I can find security. If I can just work and work and work, I can find uh, something that I can call my own, something that I can earn to protect me, to serve me. If I can just work and work and work, work into getting this relationship, then I have someone who can love me and love me and and cherish me and protect me. The Bible says the reason why we do this is because you can't find God. It's not because he's too high, but it's because he's actually too close and he's so deep and he's so low and you don't want to go there. That's why we're working because we think if we just work hard enough, it can cover over the filth. If I could just pour enough perfume on my body, it will cover over all the madness and the evil and the, and the bad thoughts and the mistreatment that I've, I've perpetrated and that I've endured. We don't, we don't want to be where Jesus is regarding our sin, regarding our evil. We don't want to face that. What's the requirement of finding God? What's the first prerequisite then for finding God? We need to be cleansed. We need to get down. How do you do that? How? Jesus lays down his life. Jesus first demonstrates this act by laying down his clothes. It's to demonstrate what's going to happen soon because when his, uh, you know, eventually on the cross, his clothes will be stripped off of him. The author is reminding the reader. Remember, Jesus was stripped naked. Here he's laying down his clothes. It's preparation for the time when on the cross he will be stripped naked. On the cross, the author's reminding us that even there, Jesus is laying himself down. Tremendous humility, tremendous gentleness, tremendous self control, even though he's got ultimate power. And he's doing it to cleanse us, he's doing it to serve us. Here in this passage, he's washing the disciples' feet. He's got a towel wrapped around his waist. You can imagine the 12 disciples, one by one, they're going. And, and as they're going, the water is getting dirtier and dirtier. And the towel that he's using, you know, and all this dirt and, and stench is transferring literally off the disciples. And it's getting onto the towel. And it's getting onto Jesus. And you can imagine the smell and the filth and the sweat and the dirt and the grime and it's getting into his nails and it's getting onto his clothes. And on the cross, what's going on? The cosmic sum of the smell and the filth and the sweat and the dirt, it's literally getting into him. It's being, it's being poured into him. He's cleansing us. He's cleansing us. Only the lowliest of people knelt and washed Jesus became the lowliest of people. Psalm chapter 22, verse 14. You know, only the servants can pour water. Jesus says, I'm being poured out like water. And on the cross, as a spear goes into his side, what happens? Blood and water are pouring out. That's Jesus on the cross. We are washed by Jesus' blood as he's pouring it out. He's doing it voluntarily and love for you. On the cross, when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is this, God, you are looking at me and you're saying, this is gross. This is disgusting. I can't 
bear the sight. I can't look at you doing this. And he turns his way. And Jesus says, you have forsaken me. You have forgotten me. You've turned your face away from me. I'm that repulsive, that disgusting to you. I'm gross. I'm disgusting. I'm being poured out. Why did he do this? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus became dirty. Jesus became the filth so that we would be clean, so that we would become beautiful. He became disgusting and gross so that we would become radiant in God's eyes. Unbelievable. He became the servant. Why? So that we who are slaves to sin could become free. We become free of sin. We would have places of honor. We can be at the Lord's cabinet. You never minimize the need to continually go to the cross and let Jesus clean the things that you cannot clean. Remember that book, Macbeth? He says, out, damn spot, out. He's trying to cleanse himself of the blood stain, and yet he could not. You have to let Jesus go into the places that you cannot clean because Jesus cleans it in full. If you're living in guilt, you know, every, most of our lives are a cycle of perpetration, guilt, and recourse. We're trying to make recourse. We're constantly trying. You ever read um, uh, uh, The Return of the Native? It's all about finding catharsis. We're, we're trying to find catharsis in our lives. But the gospel offers more than catharsis. It offers true restoration, true healing. Um, some people, you know, would take this to mean Jesus served, and he says, now, uh, now that I, your Lord and teacher, served you, you have to serve, so that means that I need to serve. And if you do that, if you think, if I just serve, if I just serve, you know, then, then God will accept me. That's not going to melt your heart. You need to be melted by the gospel. Your heart has melted by the gospel of Jesus. That's good news. Because if you're just working and working then you're, and you're trying to serve your way into God's heart, then, then you're serving to earn a place of honor. That's not the gospel. That's not good news. Well, why would that be good news? Because you'll never feel satisfied. It will never fill you. You're constantly trying to fill yourself with accolades and accomplishments and you're saying, now I can present myself before God. But that's not how, that's not the gospel. Or if you're objecting to everything that I'm saying and instead you're spending your time you know, trying to clean yourself up you're going to make yourself acceptable to God by stopping all the bad things that you've once done, then you're like Peter. You're saying, you know, you don't need to do this. You don't need to do this, Jesus. What are you doing there? Get up. You know, I'm going to try to do this. You're going to wash my feet? You can't do that. He's too close to you. He's too near to you, and you can't bear that. You've got to go down. You've got to go down in the places where Jesus is not just in the recesses of our hearts where the sin and all the sin that, that perpetrates all the other active sins in our lives. You've got to let Jesus go there and cleanse you. You've got to let the cross cleanse you. The work is finished on the cross. He had to get down that low. The way to find God, you know, is to see that you are so sinful, so weak, so helpless that he had to die for you. Jesus had to die and yet the reason why we're melted into his love is because Jesus was glad to die for you. That's the gospel. Let that melt your heart. You know, you know what you pray? Then you got to pray. Would you be willing to go down that deep into my heart, Lord? To cleanse that far in? 
Would you be willing to do that? That's how the Christian life begins, through a prayer like that. You know, if Jesus went down the depths for you, it means your sins can no longer separate you from God. The gospel is that your sins will never condemn you ever again. God will literally enter into, enter into your life. He's going to bring his own power into your life. And he's going to remake you into a beautiful thing. He's literally remaking you, renewing you into a beautiful thing. Until one day at the end of time, you're going to be radiant and you're going to be noble and you're going to be honorable just like his own son. That's good news. That's the gospel. You know, there's a kind of worldly, uh, selfish af- affection that says, I love you, I need you, I want to have you, I want to own you, I want to meet my needs through you, and that's why I need to control you, and I need you all the time in my life. You know, but that's not serving love. Serving love doesn't look like that. That's how we are with our children. That's how we are with our significant others. That's how we are with our spouses. You know, but that's not serving love. Serving love says, I love you, and I want your best. And I want your freedom. And I want to bring you closer to God. And I will do whatever it takes to get you there. I want you to advance. I want you to experience the love of God. I want you to be free. Uh, you know, and I want to bring you closer in intimacy with God. That's serving love. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. It's going to come at my cost. Even sometimes when I don't like you, even sometimes when I feel like I hate you, I will love you. It is a choice. It is voluntary. That is a supernatural thing that only the Spirit of God can do and transform in your life. How do you have that? And this is the secret. Jesus says, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you should wash one another's feet. A Christian is somebody who lets that truth dawn on you. You know, you start out by saying, how could I serve that person? Wait a second. Wow, if I, your Lord and teacher, if Jesus was willing to go down and absorb risk and take the hit for me, then I can do that. A Christian is someone who lets that all of a sudden dawn on him over and over and over again in his life. And he says, as a result, I can genuinely love other people, not as a stepping stone for my advancement, because the power plays are over, I can actually love people. I can genuinely love them. I can, because I now get it. I get the gospel. I can surrender my pride. I can surrender my fears, surrender my insecurities, surrender my anxieties. I can surrender my desires to get ahead. He laid down his life for me so I can lay down my pride. I can lay down my anxieties. I can lay down my anger. I can put these things aside. I can surrender. When you have a group of people Saying that, that's what transforms communities. That's what changes people. Here's the truth. You can't judge Jesus' love for you based on how well you serve. You could be at your worst, but do you know that God delights in you as you were just as perfect in your service as Jesus himself? That's the gospel. That's the only truth that can consume your pride. That's the only truth that can consume your guilt. Unless we see that the king of all kings knelt down by you, came down to take the hit. If you see that, you're going to be able to let down the sum of your dignity, the sum of your pride. Can you do that? You can say, I don't need to keep trying to prove my worth. I don't need to keep doing that. Because the greatest person who ever lived, the most honorable person who ever lived, took on my filth and said, it is finished. The transaction is made. The debt is paid. I buried it. There's no more stench. There's no more guilt. 
the assurance you need. That's the acceptance that you need. Jesus died for me. Will you let that truth melt your heart today in your work, in your families, in your friendships, wherever you are, anywhere you are? Will you let that truth sink in? Let's pray.